Hey, so if you're just not joining, my name is Brandy, our love CEO and founder of Lovelink Entertainment. Uh, this is another edition of Lovelink Live, the talk show with my special uh, guest, Dr. Garfield Bright of the legendary group Shy. What's up? What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> How's the weather there? Oh, it was 80. It was 80 degrees today in Houston. I'm jealous. It's, it's freezing here in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago is the realness off them lakes. You know, I know, and I missed you guys when you came for the uh, the 90s concert in October. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun. That was definitely fun. It, hadn't gotten yeah. cold. it was actually, it was still, like, temperate. It was, like, mild during that yeah, time. It was still mild then, but yeah. now it's... <laughs> yeah, I came back for my mom and I. My, my birthday and my mom is, like, about a week apart. Mine is the 12th, 1st, and 16th, and she wanted to come to Chicago to celebrate our birthdays. And so I flew back up there when it, when it was cold on Halloween. It was Halloween when I was... What? Yep, and we went to a couple of jazz clubs, you know, went around. Yeah, let me know next time you're coming through. There's all kind of stuff to do here. Yeah, for sure. We, but we got into a lot of good stuff, though. We had we had a good time, me and Mom. So it was, it was definitely enjoyable, you know what I'm saying? We had a good time. So isn't it crazy how we can just really converse with people uh, through social media, people we, we never thought we were going to meet? This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, we want to take it back to the beginning. All right, cool. Did you come to be uh, joined with Shy? And th this is just crazy because the nineties was crazy. Because I'm a nineties teenager, so yeah, the nineties. I'm was just dope. like amazed about all of this. Especially living in DC in the nineties, that was really dope. Um, yeah, you know, we all went to Howard University, and that's how we met. Like um, Darnell, which is um, one of the original members, he was actually my roommate uh, my freshman year. He and I—he's the guy that hit the high note, sings the chorus on "If I Ever." Fall in love or whatever, and um, he and I, you know, we came in at 17 years old. He was from New Jersey, you know. I was from um, Brockton, Massachusetts, coming out of there, and um, you know, he um ended up pledging Alpha and doing his thing, but um, and then I ended up doing stuff like joining the nation and stuff like that. Um, and we met back up, <clears throat> and when I got back up with him after he pledged Alpha and all that, he was in this like this group full of you know Alphas rehearsing for this talent show, and um, you know, um. Long story short, I wound up in that talent show with them, and and then um, the response was so so dope that uh, we decided to try to go get a record deal that day. And then, and I naively we thought it should work, and it messed around and worked. <laughs> it did work, but did you know that it was just going to take off the way that it did? Like you guys would be legends. I never thought about the legend part, but we felt like we had a strong song, and if I ever we had written it or whatever, Carl wrote the lyrics. And we, um, you know, did um, the uh, musical version and the different arrangements. But we had two dope versions of a song that we felt since it was, you know, the response we would get from people would always be overwhelmingly like, yo, that's dope. So in our naivety, we thought that, sure, we should be able to get a record deal with this. You know what I'm saying? Not knowing all the other political red tape you got to jump through and all that. So we always believed we were supposed to get signed. Um, you know, but I, I think that was more of a byproduct of us not knowing the industry yet and what it really, really takes to get in there. We were like, in our mind, it was like, yo, Joe, he went cold turkey up there in New York and they got snatched up. Like, we could do that too, you know. Um, but yeah, but that was real naive thinking compared to what actually happens. Um, but it, it messed around and worked. You know, it was one of those one in a million kind of situations where you try something, throw some paint against the wall, and it, it actually sticks. And um, the rest was history. So what's one of like your your craziest craziest like story tours like on the tour or like at a uh, 
like a music award show. Oh wow! There's so many of them, huh? You know the 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 memories I have are like the life we live in that kind of situation when you're on tour and you're doing the same thing over and over every day from six in the morning all the way to two in the morning every day over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like in the now of it, they they hit you but they don't leave an impression enough to stick with you so much. It's almost like like all songs that become top 10 hits, um, songs on the charts are not all created equal. Like some hits are more hits, classic hits than other songs. And um, some songs are like, oh yeah, I remember that. And some songs are like, yo, that was my joint. And um, yeah. those were th those times on the road are like the, the hits that didn't stick with you, but they were still hits. They had a high chart position. Like they really, I really lived it. But it's like when I go to recall, when I go to that part of my mind to recall, like stuff that I went through on tour, the stuff like that doesn't stick out versus the stuff like standing on the side of the stage watching SWV kill the show night in and night out. And Coco sounded exactly the same as the record night in and night out. How the band that doubled for SWV doubled for Silk and the band was so funky or how Little G was literally, literally singing women out of their drawers while he was on stage. Girls crying like he Michael Jackson while he's singing <laughs> Freak Me. Like, oh like these are the kind of memories I, like, I, I, those hit me like, oh, cause I'm looking at like, damn, my man got like God power in his voice. Like when you get to really see it up close and you live, and then when Dino, like one time my bus broke down and um, H-Town picked us up, you know, so we could ride with them, you know, to the, to the, to the next state while they messed with our bus. And I remember, all night long, me and Dino, rest in peace, you know, we, we stayed up talking. He was really telling me about how his dad coached him on how he, you know, to get the most out of his voice. And, and like, he'll turn his mouth to the side to get the fullness of that, that vowel sound out. Like, you know, I thought the back of, you know, good love. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He would that mouth all the way to get that of out. You know, he, and you always, when you think about Dino, he had a real unique draw to his, like, you know, and a lot of that was kind of on purpose so he can get the most out of the, that note that he was trying to get out and stuff like that. So um, stuff like that sticks out to me more than the, the crazy moment. It was a lot of crazy moments, but I just, those were like impediments back then that I had to get around. And so th today my mind didn't really recall them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there was difficult moments that I didn't really feel like dealing with even at that time. So I'm not even trying to like, I don't think they stuck with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know, I just feel like uh, men in the 90s, they just put more effort into like dating and, and courting women. So what do you think that a man uh, could really do to uh, gain a woman's interest? Because it's like men now, it's just, they don't want all this texting and nobody well, wants to put in I, any I, work I, anymore. I'm not, I'm not an authority on any kind of, like I don't, <laughs> I, I can speak for myself. You know what I mean? Like right. I can't out to men, you know, because everybody, it's not a homogenous group to begin with. You know what I mean? It's not a monolith. Men have different sensibilities, different things in their childhood that make them, they had different mamas and men, you know, usually relate to women based on how they saw mama. You know, it's like a lot of dynamics to what mama mm. in terms of what's supposed to happen, you know. So that's that's real subjective. I can't give no, you know, I ain't gonna act like I'm some kind of guru on the subject, you know. I can, yeah, I can, there's you know, a lot of those on but, social media, so-called guru. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I don't ever set myself to be no authority like that because I'm not, you know, nothing's absolute and everything is nuanced and I respect that. The universe got its own plan. But I do know, you know, if you could be yourself and be kind of honest about who you are and not really try to not to send your representative and just really, really be you. And if that sticks, then it must be something. I, I, can, I can say that much, you know what I mean? Like if being you catches the, the girl's attention, 
because you, know, you shouldn't be having to try to do all kind of you know you know if, if you make whatever you are if it, if it resonates like a, a a song that you like ain't trying to make you like it you know in most cases is when it's real like Marshall Marvin Gaye stuff he was singing off his heart and if you happen to go through that experience you was gonna resonate to that he wasn't trying to like find you you know you found that that resonation was was a sense so if you if what you already are resonates with somebody you know that's the one that you you know you probably could feel already feel a connection with because y'all on the same channel anyways you know you could feel that and they could feel it you both of y'all all y'all gotta do is communicate about it you know what i mean um but in terms of just you know all that other stuff like certain girls want to be courted certain girls want the flowers certain girls want the you know those types of things that, that makes them feel like you're being romantic and some girls don't want all that fluff they just want you to just be real and be ride or die and that's all i need from you like you know and then you know, I don't want all them hugs. I ain't a huggy person like that. You know, when it's time to get down, boom, boom. But on a, you know, just go. You know, some so it's different thing. Like you know, you can't tell that guy that has a girl like that to do this, that, and the third. Because on her, it's like, that's are you keep up really? You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> you know. And then some girls like yes, yes. And then you know, the other thing is like, well, how come he doesn't? You know. And he's like, yo, I'm just being me. You know. So it's kind of like it, I don't want to get no advice like. Like in that way, but just be yourself, be be you in all spaces if you can. You know, try to just be authentic as possible. And if that if that meets the bill, then that's that's the that's the dopest situation. You know what I mean? Take that one. If a girl really really feeling you for just you just being you, that's probably the one you probably need to really long term consider dealing with. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> we all got faults and all that. But if somebody see through all that and they really still feeling you, because it's just something about the resonance that you just naturally create without trying. That's the one you need to really deal with, you know what I mean? Because you can't really find that or manufacture that, you know. If you send your representative, you'll get somebody who resonates with that, and then when you turn it to your, yeah. real, self, your real self. There's a lot of representatives. Yeah. So I, I, There's I, a lot of that. I'm just me in all spaces, so I just, you know, I, I'm just, you know what I'm saying? That that part of the game, I'm, I ain't the one to ask them kind of questions too much. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward a little bit. Uh, what made you want to uh, continue your education and get your doctorate? Well, I just love knowledge, and it, and it wasn't for status thing. I could care less if people call me Doctor Wright, to be honest with you. But you know, like my parents and stuff, they proud of me, and family members, and they like you better make sure they call you Doctor, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But for me, I just I've been a person, you know, that's my my parents were educators in, in education, so I kind of like was born into an education based kind of family where reading was really important at a young age. I was, I had a bevy of different comic books with big words and I had these black comic books that happened to be real black historical figures that I thought were superheroes until I got in school and I, I knew all the black historical figures because I had these comic books called Golden Legacy. <laughs> I thought they were superheroes, but um, I learned how to read at an early age and that stimulated more, you know, uh, deeper thinking about what I was reading at a younger age. Um, Dad gave me, you know, when my mom and dad got a new bed, they gave me their old bed. And in the, in the 70s, some of the beds in the headboard had like bookshelves. And my dad left all these books um, in the bookshelf. Treasure Island, Pride and Prejudice, Helter Skelter, um, uh, 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 um, your boy George Jackson, the Soul Dad Brother. Yeah, Soul Dad Brother. I like, I read all these books at like eight, seven to eight years old. And, and it just sparked a love for reading. It sparked an interest for wordplay, vocabulary, and critical thinking in terms of like how people set up concepts. And that alone, anything that I get fed or consumed, be it, be it media, be it somebody talking to me, or be it, you know, any salesperson or just in the streets, 
I'm always looking at the, the meta aspect, how they think about what they're thinking, what I think about what they're thinking, and what are they really saying? And what does that really mean? You know, so I, I just go there, yeah. not even like, I, I don't try to go there. It's just a natural muscle. And that muscle, though, is, is precisely the kind of muscle you need to make it through grad school, master's, and PhD. So I kind of just naturally kind of like had it built in, come to find out the ingredients that you need to kind of get through that at a high clip. And I, you know, I received awards and stuff like that because it was like, it was, it was a lot of work, but it was enjoyable to me. I felt like it was a creative experience to do the research and then report out about it. And I don't know, it just was a natural fit for how my mind naturally worked. So yeah, you had to put a lot of work into it, but I was qualified. I was coaching in terms of how I delivered my stuff. Like I knew what I was doing. So yeah, that, that, that was enjoyable to experience in my lifetime. So that made me want to keep going. And I just ended up getting a terminal degree in, you know, educational policy. But it was for the love of learning more than anything. I'm not, like, teaching. I'm not a professor right now or anything like that. I consult people based on how to create, like, engagement with, with students because that was something I was particularly pretty good at is um, as, a, as a teacher. I could create engagement or situations that would spark engagement where, where the students could trust me and let their guard down enough to, like, really freely vibe with me. And then we got a lot of stuff accomplished. So people thought I was, like, really teaching some miraculous way, but really I was just connecting and um, I was good at figuring out ways to connect. And that was my strength. So I used that to create programs instead of teaching in classes in college. I create kind of programs in the hoods around critical and digital literacies. So black young men can kind of tell their stories their way and create their own narratives, which is a counter narrative. And that's kind of like my, my thing. I, I do that wherever I go uh, besides, you know, singing the shot. That's, that's my part as a PhD. Okay, so you're a vegan now. I thought that was just so great because I stopped eating pork in 97. Uh, my mother was cooking some chitlins on Thanksgiving and I ran about the house. And I was like, uh-uh. Then I stopped eating red meat in 2010, so now I'm pescatarian. So it's just like, black yeah, black people, y'all gotta come on now. Y'all wanna live. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, that was just something, man, I, I was always, like, into that as a youngin. Like, you know, even though my family, they, they ate beef and pork and all that. Um, at a certain point, you know, as I start coming of age, I start making my own decisions. I just kind of naturally came into the knowledge of, of um, how to eat to live by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Um, I also came into contact with African holistic health. Um, you know, forward was by um, Baba Dick Gregory. And... Um, I just became interested in like the connection between food and your, your resonance as a, as a spiritual soul, like how food can kind of dull you or keep you sharp. And, you know, that, that fascinated me because I believed it, you know, I, I really believed in, in what I was reading and I, I started just on my own trending in that direction. But one fateful day um, I was at a gas station, me and two of my homies and, you know, being 16, I pulled up on, it was three girls in this car. It was three of us. I walked over there to, you know, to the pump, you know, start hollering a little bit, flirting. But when the girls, one of the girls was Ayanna Gregory, which is Dick Gregory's daughter. And um, she took us all to, to her crib in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and just introduced us to all the kind of like um, health food things that dad was into. And it, it blew me away. You know, like she gave me, a, at that time, it was, there was no Whole Foods, no Trader Joe's yet. So she gave me this donut that was wrapped in this plastic cellophane that was, she said, was flavored, uh, sugared, I mean, uh, sweetened by um, beet juice. 
And I was like, there's no way you can convince me that something that's made with beet juice is going to taste good. That's supposed to be a donut. And she gave it to me and it was great. And I just, it made me just start rethinking all the stuff, you know, Burger King and, you know, now I just stopped putting that. And so I stopped quit eating beef and pork at 17. And so, you know, I would be a pescatarian for years and, um, you know, joined the nation really, really in, in my time at Howard, you know, that's when I was in the nation. I um, ate fish only, you know, and, and then, you know, that's my meat. Um, and then, you know, after a while, you know, even that, like so many years of eating chicken and fish and all the stuff they got in the ocean and, you know, all the hormones and all the genetically modified stuff. I, I just woke up one day and just quit. I was like, I'm not eating chicken ever again. I'm done. You know, because if, you know, I found that because I did cut everything else out, if I wanted some meat on my rice, it'd be chicken rice. If I wanted a piece of chicken, I'd get a piece of chicken. If I want a sandwich, it'd be a chicken sandwich. If I want every form of chicken, I was eating chicken, like every, all them hormones. And I just decided to quit. And, uh, and that same day, I decided to quit drinking sodas. And that was like, like six years ago. And um, I just strictly went vegan. And for the first couple of years, I was trying to figure out, like, you know, how to, really like sink, sink into it and, 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 and really, really um, calibrate that way of being with how I was trying to be and lost weight, gain, you know, finally figure out a way to stabilize my weight, and, you know, and then once it became just a part of me, it's now it's just like, like when you first start trying to drive a stick, it's, it's hard because you got to think about the clutch and not to hit the gas and then pull the thumb. But after a while, it's second nature, you could be on your phone shifting gears. And so that's how I am now about my veganism. Like I figured out what's best for me and what works and, I'm I'm content. I'm good. You know, I, I feel good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I you look to... good too, cause you know how sometimes you run back into people. You be like, "Baby, what happened?" <laughs> she I'm said, like, "Yeah, brother." <laughs> so, um, you got some new stuff? Yeah. Tell me about the Lotus Thirty Thirteen. Oh, Lotus 2013. I got a music project. I mean, a um, book project. Um, it was in my brain for like ten years, and I finally um. After I got my PhD, I vowed to go ahead and get that out of my body. Like, it was just living in my body. And it's basically like um, a book um, taking place in the year 3013. Hip-hop is believed to be invented by white people. There's no connection to history to prove otherwise. The only thing is there's this thing called the Hall of Masters protected by um, these this black crew called the Netics because they telepathic and telekinetic. But they have all literally master recordings the videos the interviews on mtv those types of things of, that prove hip-hop came from a black and latino source from the bronx from cedric and cedar and that bash mm. proof is what that antagonist master set in the Sicilians is trying to smash so you can create the narrative of being a, in a perpetual present that lock people off from from history and what they were doing with hip-hop in the future is taking it um and and creating like different space using it to like make uh, other spaces more magnetic so they can get money like um they would take the x factor from prisoners linked up they would put they would give them stimuli and based on their reactions they could kind of localize what that x factor is that's in hip-hop and they would take that and transport it into stuff like architectural designs for their cities to make them more vibrant so investors from different places would want to invest money into their their stuff and they ain't getting rich but the source of it had to be true hip-hop which was the prisoners that they were, um, people become prisoners, they use them as lab rats pretty much in this book. Anyway, it's a combination like mm -hmm. Harry Potter, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and Beach Street. If y'all do some research and figure out Beach Street. Those those four things wrapped up is Lotus. And um, it's, a, you know, it's a dystopian, it's an Afrofuturistic piece, but it's pretty good to my to my standards. I, I actually like it. You know, I'm, I'm my own worst critic. But it's a real dope storyline. Um, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy. There's so many layers to it. But check it out. It's going to be on sale in January, probably towards the end. 
Um, I'm releasing little snippets every week up until that point, like commercial type of things. You'll be able to get more into it. But it'll be twenty dollars for the ebook and the audio book and everything. And um, you know, you could read along and listen to it. The audio book, my sons, my twins, Tyreek and Garfield, they did the score underneath my narrative. They you know, they played all the like a TV movie or a movie drama where you hear the score underneath the scenes, the violins or what they played all the mood stuff up under this different the whole so it's, it, it feels like a movie, an audio movie, more than an audio book. So, yeah, check it out when I put it out. You know, $20, just a dub, get you some good stuff. <laughs> this, you know. But guess what? I didn't know that you dabbled in acting. I saw a clip on your Instagram page, uh, a yeah. throwback clip. Yeah, I was, I was um, so some Sequest, you know, it was executive produced by Steven Spielberg. They wanted, what? it was a scene. Um, Jonathan Brandis, rest in peace, this young actor at the time, he was like the heart, like the Justin Bieber of his day. And um, they were, you know, the Sequest DMV or DSV, I think it was, yeah, um, on the set of Universal at that time. Because they were on Universal and Shia was signed to MCA Universal, they, our parent company. So they were like, hey, we need some music for a couple of scenes in the next episode. And they were like, hey, we got Shia, you know, you like anything? Ah. So they used Baby I'm Yours for like a little love interest scene that he had. And they invited us to come watch the scene. While I was standing there, this guy walks up to me and was like, "Hey, um, have you ever? I'm just curious. Have you? Do you have any acting um, ability, or have you had I've done any acting in the past?" And of course, I was like, "Oh, yeah." No one, I was lying. <laughs> what? Yeah. You so, so, dude gave me this like script. Dude named Malik. I mean, that was the character's name. I like that because it's a strong black name. It wasn't G Money and none of that. It was Malik, right? I was like, "Oh, this is dope." And it was a, um, a like a Portuguese dude from the favelas. And he was protecting his, his, his younger comrades. Like, you know, they were all like little misfits. And the, all the males, they pickpocket. So the government thinks that they're bad for tourism. And they kill them off at nighttime. They kill off the males at nighttime. So I helped them escape from the island. But I stole a sub, an Army, a Navy sub, to, 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 to escape with the kids. Anyway, um, so I had a big thing but big part fighting scenes everything and i was all up into that episode um, it's called the good death that episode of um, sequest i think it's the second season but yeah check it out it's fun it's, it was fun but it was an <laughs> experience like i was underwater with this dolphin this mechanical dolphin they had they could talk it was crazy this this the technology the, the set i think it cost almost a million dollars a day to record wow it, it was really expensive they ended up having to move to florida's studios to finish because it was a little cheaper um, but yeah, I, I got a chance to act in that, you know, and acting, I did a good job to be a rookie at that. Um, but just, I admire actors because I can't, it's hard for me to act other than just who I am. Like it's hard for me to, or what I think I am. What is a you anyway? You know, it, it, a, a you is not some static thing that floats through and things, you know, like you're all your experiences congealed in this little ball that you believe to be you. And, you yeah. know, some of those beliefs fall off and new ones come in. Like, it's never no static thing that's a you. So, you know, what I perceive to be me, I can't ever let go of that enough to let me be whatever the role is, to just stretch myself into these acting roles like real good actors can do. So I just I just don't have that, you know what I mean? <laughs> I can only be myself. And, you know, those real method actors who go into, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and all the people. Yeah, that's a phrase. But you can see how dope they are when they when they in it like they I, I believe like will smith even like king richard and jamie fox when he was ray and like to go there with it like i i, I, I admire that man that's a hard i just can't let myself lose my I, the feeling of voluntarily losing myself is almost the same feeling mm -hmm. if somebody told me to go 
just break my hand on purpose right now so somebody can fix it. <laughs> like, I'm not about to break my own hand. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I never thought about that. Like, yeah, because some people do say it's hard to detach from the role after you, you know, when you come out. But yeah. I think you just have to be grounded. Or something, or crazy, or borderline. <laughs> or, because it, Wait a minute, I'm an actress and I'm not crazy. So. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm really saying crazy is dysfunctional, but like to just split your own personality on purpose yeah. and freely be able to go through them, like turning radio stations to the next 90s, you know, and, and actually yeah. have something to come through that you can listen to. Like, that's like in that mode is like, who are you really? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Which one is the real? <laughs> like, I think Jim Carrey was even talking about how he kind of lost himself like that for a minute. Like, yeah, you know, I remember that. So hard in the paint in these characters. And goes in there like the you, the him of it all. The concept of a you to begin with kind of just gets muffled, or it's almost like like cops who see so much death, they kind of get numb to death. Like it's 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 a related kind of you know dynamic, except that's way more morbid. But you know what I mean? Like those types of things, it's, you kind of like want to preserve the. Like I purposely don't watch accidents when I go down the highway and see a whole bunch of. Mm. I don't want to have that image in my brain to even be able to pull from energetically. You know what I mean? I'm going to encounter enough stuff that's going to sap some of my spirit and energy along the way that I can't avoid. If I can avoid some of that, I'll do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's an interesting segue because I have two sons as well, and my youngest is on the autism spectrum. So when everything happened with all this police brutality, it just was like, oh, my God. It was just so disheartening. I'm like, how do I manage all of this? This world is crazy now. Well, how, what kind of conversation do you have uh, to your sons about that? Well, like when they little, I'm talking to them about the world. That's just me, how I am, Garfield. Like everybody who knows me knows it ain't no t too late. To, if you could process information, you could start learning that there's a full reality and an actuality. And um, mm. they both of them. And um, this is what one looks like that you living in, that you have to navigate. But then there's another world that's a, a that, that is more true to you, um, that's calibrated on your definition of what you think humans should be. And that world, never lose sight of it, always contrasting a pair, but didn't have the audacity to have the vision to see what that other one could be and try to make that one become. And if you do music, try to make your music in such a way to where people get more pulled in to your world in that way, you know what I mean? Try to change it in that way, you know, because it's all about vibe. Stakes is high. Jay Diller and, and um and um De La Soul had this song called The Stakes is High when you're dealing with the vibe, vibration. Like that's so true. That's all that there is. I, I was just tripping. I had an epiphany epiphany the other day about Adam. You know, I always look at words like Adam and Eve. And it hit me hard because in, in Arabic, the um word for the number one or for the concept of oneness is odd, A H D. And if you think about even with the way we use the word, oh, that's odd. It's something that sticks out. Like, it comes from that, I think, odd. But Adam, odd, you got one. And then you got um, ohm, the vibratory sound, ohm. So the one sound or the original sound is what Adam represents. And, um, and so it's a lot more to that. But I was looking at sound being the, 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 the origin of all this stuff, because sound has a corresponding mathematical structure and color scheme. And so sound can produce civilizations and universes in terms of things that we see as um, superpositions that coagulate as matter that we see in this fake world of illusion that we swim through in these avatars. Um, sound holds all this together, you know? So 
you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a lot to this, man, you know, but um, I, I, I stay in that realm a lot because that, it, that moves me more than the realm that I'm living in, <laughs> the COVID yeah. realm. I can't, like, take that as food because it won't sustain me, like, and I know that a lot of this stuff is so far from organically happening that I've been peaked at. So, you know, and I'm not a person that gets on a soapbox and preaches to people about what this is we're looking at. Cause I'm not just, you know, people want to label you and you, but I, I see, you know what I mean? And because of that, then my uh, sanity and my spiritual juice just goes even more towards creativity and having the audacity to see what is not and try to make that be through making musical imprints on people that's different than the imprints sonically they're getting from the media and different things um, out here in terms of the shock and terror and fear food that they're getting on a constant basis to make them even have to deal with that. Even if they're not like that, they got to ingest that and then process it and get it out. Um, I was trying not to even consume that if I can. And then people who do are in my space, I try to give them something real good to consume. And usually that's good energy, a good smile. You know what I mean? That's free. Some good music if you got yeah. it. You know what I mean? Some good conversation, a healthy, you know, like transactional kind of discourse where they meet dominating or you dominating. It's like usness. You know what I mean? Like a good feel of usness in a transaction where you feel like you got something, no matter how little or big. That's a fulfilling, mm. like, you know, sample of something in your day that you can call some real soul food. And that sustains. And that's what changes what you're living in, the vibratory cage that we're living in. Like those kind of frequencies that you let in actually kind of nullify the real prison frequency that we're in all day long. You know? So, so uh, who are some of the current artists that you listen to now? Oh, current artists? Um, I like the, um, the, the young brother Jeremiah. I like his voice. Um, I want to hear more from him, but I, I really like his songs. He got some dope songs, you know. Um, he does. Maybe we can be on chill tonight. That one and um that um there's Louis without you and I that was dope. Like I, that's something that did. there's no we without you and I. That's that's a mature, catchy, and real concept. There's no we without you and I. and then we is a play on words because we is yes in French too. So it's like a there's no yes without a mutual agreement, or there's no we period. Like, it, like that's just a dope joint. And then his voice. And I, I like Miguel. Um, he's, I think he's dope. He's different. And nobody sound like him, you know. And he's, he, he's dope, man. He got some dope uh, things to his voice and some dope things that he depends on. Like, you know, like KC from Jodeci used to, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his signature. Ooh, yes. That new thing. Yeah. Miguel, Miguel got some stuff that's his thing, you know, that signature. I can't even mock him, but he, he's, I like him. He's dope. Um I miss I miss music soul child though. I, I miss my Dwayne. Yeah, I do. I'm wondering, you know what I'm saying? I need some more <laughs> to come in my zone, like you know what I mean. But um, but yeah, those two right there, they are those are those are some dope dudes. Um, I like you know I like my man. The people always be like, yo, you look like um, he used to wear his hair like this for a minute. Um, dope voice. Um, um. Okay, thank you. Um. He came out, I think he, he came out around the same time as Trey Songz first came out. Lloyd. You Lloyd, talking about Lloyd, man? Lloyd, Lloyd. Yeah, I like Lloyd. Yeah. I like Lloyd. Lloyd. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a Lloyd lit album. I, I, yeah. I, I, I asked with Lloyd, man. I, I, but I like him as a, like a person. Like, I see his, he got the same kind of spirit to me as, um, that I feel when I, when I listen to my man, um, 
J. Cole, Rhyme. Like, it's something in their spirit that's the same. Like, they're different genres and all that, but I feel like them two dudes are kind of like the same kind of dude if I were to meet, you know, really, really sit down and chop it up. And, that, and that's, they dope. You can see they're good guys. Like, I can see that through through just their spirit, whatever. But um, they artists, they dope artists. I like J. Cole. That's just another artist out there that I, I really, really, really like conceptually um, in terms of what he's doing with hip-hop and his, and his bars. You know, he, he's... He's really conceptual. And I need my man, um, where Kendrick Lamar at, man? I hope he ain't there brewing up a pot of something crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm, I'm waiting. I've been waiting for you to come. Give me some more food, man. Um, Yeah, but, um, and it's more that I'm probably missing, but those kind of like stand out for the new, new, new type artists. I like, yeah. I like, like those cats, you know what I'm saying? So what do you think about all this self-publishing and uh, streaming that artists can do? Because, there's a lot of horror stories. They nobody got a good deal in the nineties. Yeah, nobody. nobody. <laughs> well, think about that whole concept of a deal, and think about the concept of sitting down at the table where somebody else brings you the contract that you have to then go back and find a lawyer to find any kind of like room to just have some kind of like specialty items in there for your comfort zone. But it's basically already skewed power dynamics wise to the person who presented it, who is basically the owner about to be the owner of your, like you an artist, but as soon as you sign a contract, you become a product producer. Like as soon as it leaves your birth canal and gets born, it's no longer this piece of art that you think you just produced. Like, oh, it immediately becomes a product. Mm -hmm. And you just, in, and in, in their world, you just an extension of the product they trying to sell. Like it, I, they wish you could just get out the damn way and they could just sell your product. <laughs> and you just, you know, um, <laughs> but you don't realize that until, you know, you halfway through it and stuff like that. Um, what was the question? Because I was leading to something. <laughs> no, I was just, you know, it's just amazing to me how artists can really self-publish and all these different oh, streaming. Yeah. Is a not, if you can cut out the middleman, because back then, you know, it was all about the distribution being worldwide. Like MCA and all these labels, yeah, that was a record label. You know, they pretty much is a, a bank, you know, basically charging you interest on, on a return. Uh, but they have a chain where they can really get you your music out that was basically the main reason why you signed with the labels because their distribution got you all over the world but now the internet reaches all over the world you don't need that middleman for that and right you, and, and you can create your brand enough in a lo local kind of way enough um people to uh, resonate with you you could build a core cool audience and if you can monetize that the whole world might not know who you are but you have a nice bank account and you do yeah and you could sustain yourself. What's messing with that as an artist? And you might mess around and get bigger than that. You know what I mean? But you yeah. can still do what you love to do and eat. And if we had that back then, we didn't need to slap ourselves if we signed a record deal with anybody, especially in a day where they're trying to give you these 360 deals and get a cut of your shows. And if you Oh, my Lord. You know, all what? that stuff. You know what I mean? You know, now, like, like I saw a comment, you can get your masters if you really, really go there legally because of a law that got put in place a few years back that once your um, artists, the contracts are over 30 years old, um, something to that effect, they, they, they don't have, they're no, no longer, you know, valid. They can be, you know, um, you know, you can go back and, and, and re-up or renegotiate to do what the deal is, but you can definitely get a new royalty situation. Um, but in a lot of cases, if you fight for them, you can get your master's back. Um, because wow. That's that, because that's part of your deal. And, um, you know, people like Anita Baker and, Ashanti and people like that are trying to do that those kinds of moves. And Anita got hers. Um, 
somebody else got this too. That was that was um, my, my memory's gone when I took a I took note of. But somebody else got their masters recently. That was a dope move besides Anita Baker. Um, but nah, we didn't get our masters. Nah, 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 nah. We didn't get our masters. Oh. You know, we don't. We don't. We not um much of a unified front as a four man situation to really just go strong at it. And, you know, okay. start talking about legal representation, who gonna do it, and you know, it's oh. a bit of fire right now as it should be with with, with the original members. But uh, I encourage any other group that does that do have like you know like our silk, all of them are still together. Like you know, there's a few groups out there that just stay together like that. Um, go get your masters, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's right. Go get them <laughs> Like us, you know, who actually wrote their own material, you know. We wrote all of our own stuff anyway, so it, it ain't like some outside producer gonna be mad because we got the masters. Like you know, if you wrote all your own songs, go get your masters. That's your product anyway. And, and I'm telling my own self that too. Like we, we definitely need to make that you know part of our bucket list. Even if we don't have a as unified as front as we would like, um, we should still go get our masters. So that's that's true. That's facts. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it's so funny. Um. I think it was Arsenio Hall show. It came up on my YouTube feed. And my son was like, wait a minute. Uh, how old are they? I'm like, they the same age as me. So we ain't that old. <laughs> but it was just, y'all look so cute. It was like so, some good memories, man. Arsenio was my favorite night show dude. Like, he had a natural talent for that. Like, he was made perfectly for that type of engagement, that interaction. Like, he was totally that guy. Like, you couldn't cast a better person than Arsenio to be that. He was quick on his feet, witty. He was sensitive when he needed to be in terms of like respecting certain boundaries. Uh, he would push the envelope, but he had a way of pushing the envelope that didn't piss the people off who didn't want it to go that far. Like, he had a combination of so many and, and certain things that only he could get away with because of his personality that kept the audience feeling at ease. Like, he just had a way. He did a lot of like nuancey things that I respect as a person that uh, you know who else got dope skills like that to me naturally, but it's in a whole nother mode though, um, and people might not see the connection. But a real natural at what he does, uh, Nori man from um, Drink Champs, the podcast Drink Champs. You know where they? I've never that heard thing. of it. What? You, no. Drink Champs with Nori, like you know Nori from um, Capone and Noriega, the um, rap group from Queens. Yeah, but I've never listened to the podcast. Oh, well, Nori, Nori um, with DJ F FN. From they, they in Miami and they got a podcast called Drink Champs. It's so dope. They got all the artists coming on there and they drink for like three hours and just talk about life. <laughs> At the end of it, they be so lit, but all the truths be coming out. And but your boy, he's just dope maneuvering with people and stuff. Sometimes he cross the line, but he'll tell himself that oh I fucked up, I fucked up. You know, he's I, yo Nori's dope. He should have been doing that. Like how Fat Five Freddy was dope like that too. He was a natural like that. Fat Five Freddy. I look up to him too, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm just you know, I'm old school. <laughs> so are we gonna see a new album um from Shy? Um, well, yeah, we we're working on some stuff. I'm currently doing my own little project called Off Track. It's an acapella mm -hmm. album where I'm actually literally doing the tracks acapella, like trumpet, the drums, the strings, and then I'm doing a song on top of that, like and mixing it like a song, like even though it's all my voice. Um, you know, it's actually tracks with beats and stuff in there, but I'm making it with my mouth. Um, it's called Off Track because, you know, there's no tracks. It's acapella in two. Tight, yeah. Doing something off the path of Shy, like this a Garfield project. And I'm just doing one. I'm not trying to do no solo career or nothing like that. I just always want to just do one album. And um, just a little novelty because it's all acapella, so it's a cool little, you know, 
Um, but Shia, me and Darnell, we've been going back and forth with Pro Tools and sending each other tracks and singing little pieces and bits on different little things, getting some stuff together. I was just looking at the um, Pro Tools list today, the songs that we cut, pieces of songs that we sent back and forth, like, oh, yeah, 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 we got some little, some cool little joints, we need to keep it. So we don't have an actual timeline on it. We just, you know, as artists, we just make it until we feel like it's ready. Then you'll hear something. But it's some clever little stuff. Um, my project I'm trying to make come out in February, my solo project. And uh, right after, on the heels of my book release in January. So, you know, stay tuned to my IG for all that. And, um, you know, for sure. Okay. Well, okay, then, uh, Dr. Garfield Bryant. <laughs> um, tell us your social media accounts before we get out of here. Oh, okay. The Garfield Bright Experience is my IG and, um, you know, the Garfield Bright Facebook. And then, you know, you got Shy, Shyroglyphics. And then you got just a straight Shy page too, um, you know, um, Shy R&B and everything. So, um, you know, all, any of those you can find me or Shy at. And, um, you know, just stay tuned. We'll keep you posted on our next moves. Right now, we um just coming off the strings of a whole lot of shows. <laughs> And so we're relaxing for a minute. I think our next show's um maybe in February. We we um kinda out so January is my my time to really make my move between these shows. I'm gonna be going hard. So stay tuned on my IG. I'm gonna be posting up a lot of stuff coming soon about sure Yeah. Okay. I, I it was a pleasure just to exchange energies with you. You really you're really humble. Oh thank really you. humble. Thank you. But you know, that. uh I don't know. I'm probably sure you're tired of these light skin jokes, but they like they say, <laughs> light skin back in style. No, I mean it's just the reality of the times. I'm not mad. Like, you know, I, you know that's fun. That's fun stuff. That's, yeah, that's good stuff. That's stuff you live. All right. Yeah. Well, you that's have fun. a good evening, guys, and stay in touch. Peace. Hey. Bye. Bye. <laughs>